Lock the gates, because you're listening to episode 87 of Almost Famous Minute. I'm, um, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Frayne. I'm your other co-host, Tierney Steele. What's wrong with that? Um, I don't, I don't really know. This is weird. It's like, I'm in my podcast studio, right? Everything looks normal, but for some reason we're doing another show's another show. It, I don't get it. It's it's weird. I, I remember. Have you eaten any fortune cookies lately? <laughs> there was that monkey's paw. Um, I got a really <laughs> good deal on it, though. Um, no, we. I I remember Eric Nash. We were talking to him about Close Encounters. Yeah. And now we're There's here. There's a mountain and Budweiser. And- yeah. Anyways. Well, I mean, we're here. We watched Almost Famous. Let's talk about Almost Famous. Minute 87 of the movie. No mashed potatoes in sight, but we do have a minute that starts with Russell and William shaking hands after he tells them they're going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. And it ends with Leslie saying... Who is that girl? She's creeping me out. And we're not alone. Who is that there are guest? There's so many people here. He's creeping me out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm oh. joking. It's my default mode. I am. I just feel really. I, I'm not. Am I on the right show? Yeah, I, you're totally feels, on the right show. Is this. I. Okay. I'm going to. Okay, this there's something going on, and I feel like it has to do with like the moon or like something. But uh, hi, I'm I'm James. Please see Eric for refunds and retributions. <laughs> great, great. I'll, I was gonna do that regardless. But hi, hi. How are you guys doing? <laughs> doing great, James Anderson. Where do we know you from? Well, I um uh my co-host and and. My co-host Aaron and I uh, did uh, started things off with uh, Newsies Minute. We've done Crossroads Minute, and uh, we just finished Can't Hardly Wait Minute uh, back a couple months ago. And do you have a new project on the horizon as well? Yes, we start recording next week, and that's all I'm allowed to say at this juncture. Oh. But but watch this space, <laughs> like me. Watch watch me. <laughs> We're going to watch you. Listeners may vaguely remember my voice from way back in William's past when he was listening to records that Anita had left him. Uh, that's right. I'm back. I've kicked Eric out of his studio and I'm taking over. <laughs> at least until we figure out how to reverse this. I'm pretty sure I need to learn how to play guitar very quickly with Jamie Lee Curtis and then mm-hmm. or, or type or water ski. I don't mm-hmm. really remember, but yeah. we'll, we'll see what we can do for the next step. If we're getting things back on track. <laughs> so almost famous. Uh, if you've made it to episode 87, you probably know a lot about this movie. So I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to, you know, give you a primer on, on uh, what we're looking at here. But I do want to talk about what are our general impressions, memories of this movie. Um, and uh, James, I'll throw to you first, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, this was one of those movies that um, I was told 
a lot uh, that I needed to watch. Um, but I didn't watch it for a while um, because generally when that kind of some when that kind of thing happens, I'm like, no, yeah, that sounds great. Never gonna watch that. Not gonna watch that at all. But um, I, I I watched it. I loved it, of course. Um, I'm a big music fan. I you know it. I like uh, you know period pieces in the 70s. Um, was already gonna be my you know in sort of a, a good region for me. I like. Uh, you know, Dazed and Confused and uh, Boogie Nights and all all these that are sort of set in the same fashion era, kind of. Um, so that plus, like, you know, music being sort of the central figure in this. And I also love, there's a, I mean, just sort of everything about it sort of coalesces into something that I'm going to like. I love, you know, sort of like a, a young music fan who's kind of an idiot <laughs> finding cool people and then not ever becoming cool, but like seeming cooler and sort of figuring out how to be in the world. Um, Getting to hang out with the cool. Yeah. It's kind of like, did you guys ever read, not necessarily see Perks of Being a Wallflower? I have I not. love that movie and book. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. It feels like that, but in the 70s. It's like Perks mm. of Being a, a, a Black Light Wallflower. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he finds these older kids slash grown men and then um hangs out with them and sort of learns how like almost through their um foibles and and flaws figures out how to be a person and stuff and i find that uh is the case i like that in perks of being wallflower and i like that in this movie too plus the soundtrack rules and i like cameron crow except for i like cameron crow mostly <laughs> <laughs> nice nice <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. I'm glad you brought up Boogie Nights because that's a movie I always, in my mind, mentally conflate this movie with. Mm. It's mm-hmm. like Boogie Nights, the prequel or something. I don't know. It, it's, you know, you got the Kate, <laughs> the Kate Hudson, you know, is in both of them. Mm-hmm. And also, I think the directorial she- style is very similar between. Uh, was it Paul Thomas Anderson, right? And yeah, and Cameron I think Kate Cook. Hudson is 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 not in Boogie Nights. Oh, who am I confusing uh, Heather, her with? Um, Heather Graham. Oh, jeez, that that is just embarrassing. Or Don Cheadle. I don't know if maybe you were con- maybe Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle. There Cheadle. you go. <laughs> I get them. Hotel up. Rwanda, Boogie Nights. <laughs> right, 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 yeah, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, Mission Impossible, or whatever he's in. I do, I do this, I do that same thing with uh, with Daisy Confused. I literally, um, we were playing Seen It because we found it um, in our basement, and uh, I literally conflated Richard Linklater and uh, and Cameron Crowe because I was like, yeah, you know, almost famous, Daisy Confused, the movies that one director did, right? Like, <laughs> oops, yeah, I, I think exactly. that's forgivable. I think that's more forgivable than my mistake just then. Um, <laughs> now, yeah, Chris, what's your history with Almost Famous? My history with Almost Famous is I remember this being a movie that was a really big deal during the Oscar season of mm. 2000, I guess. So it would have been early 2001. Um, but it, it seemed like it, it had more like. Oscar buzz than it had buzz when it was actually out. 
So it's kind of like a movie that I, I know for sure I didn't see it in the theater. Um, so I saw it on video probably, you know, a, few, a month or two after it won, I guess, best screenplay, if I remember correctly. Um, but it was up for a whole bunch of awards that year, I want to say. Um, and right. I've seen it just maybe a couple of times. And then obviously before we we did this show and um, I, you know, it's. I think it's 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 an interesting story. Obviously, yeah, that whole angle of how bizarre it is to have a teenager covering rock and roll firsthand is wild. Right. Even though even though he's not covering someone at the stature of you know his heroes. I right. Mean, this is an up and coming band. Yeah. It's still like. Okay, enjoy this world that suddenly you have, you know, a weird level of access complete to. Complete access. Complete right. access to. And that just sort of freaks me out. Um, so uh. I've been, you know, I make those jokes during our other podcasts. I used to play bass for Blankety Blank. Um, so I've actually yeah. been in bands. And, I love Blankety Blank. Yeah, Blankety <laughs> Blank. Um, and... Uh, I've been in bands, and unfortunately, I've never been in a band that toured. However, after watching this, I'm kind of glad I was never in a band that toured. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that would have been a completely different experience. I was obviously, um, you know, I was when I was playing, it was more about indie rock. There wasn't this, like, ecosystem of, like, oh, you've got this big expense account, you know, and then... Right. To your per diem, even if you're not making money for real, it's like you you could still spend money like you are, um, <laughs> and and have groupies and all that. I was happy if I'm I'm not kidding. I was to me success meant that the sound guy was paying attention, like mm-hmm. was at mm-hmm. the mixing desk and paying attention. That to me was like <laughs> yes, we've made it. He actually cares mm. about what we sound like because nine times out of 10, we play at a venue and the sound guy would get the initial levels and then go get a beer and then go outside. <laughs> yeah. So like groupies not happening. Um, although I think that just would have been strange. Just, I just for me personally. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's an interesting slice of life it's an interesting period piece and i really watched it this time to see what they got right in terms of the era and like really nitpicky like one of my nitpicks is in the scene uh coming up where uh penny lane uh almost overdoses there's a boom box in the corner of the room (laughs) and i'm like there, there were no boom boxes in 1973. I don't know where that came from. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, it got, you know, it, the the details of the era were seemed right. Um, if not a little bit too perfect, you know, and a little bit cleaned up. Like the 70s right. weren't as perfect looking as all of this was. Um, right, right. And I don't know how else to put it, but just there were no flaws in anything. And 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 speaking of which, by the way, 
I figured out that um, his home, so the the um, the one that Francis McDormand lives in, you know, mm-hmm. I love that house. That's like my dream house right mm. there. I, I just every Aww. and then it, it's funny, I guess, because at my age, like all of the rock and roll excess stuff is like ugh, I'm over it. I found myself like wanting to hang out with Francis McDormand's character and talking philosophy <laughs> than wanting to be on the there road with go. the band. I'm like, that's who I am now. Nice. Well, you accept that. Yeah, yeah. my big thing was this this movie, as soon as it came out on DVD video, came to my house. Because I was too young. Uh, we didn't see in theaters. This music is my dad's era. Yeah, classic rock. Uh, um, yeah. One of the first videos ever taken of me, I was just able to stand up. I am a baby, and my dad has put on Hearts Barracuda so that I would bounce on the video camera. (laughs) Uh, And I mean a video, like video cassette in the camera on my uncle's shoulder, um, dancing to Hearts Barracuda. And that was our, that was our bonding thing. Yeah, this just, and my dad was was a musician and... Uh, we watched the behind the scenes interviews with Nancy, who wrote the music, oh, that's and all right. this stuff. That's right. And so, yeah, it was just it was a really important movie to me when it came. And, and also, I was the right age. Yeah, like yeah. I was too young to go see this in theaters, but like I could, you know, my parents could have if they had really wanted to. Um, and. You know, my sister and I were sitting there like, all right, we're going to turn off all the lights except these uh, the strand of Christmas lights and listen to Dark Side of the Moon. That's a great Friday evening right there. And uh, it, it just it really hit a spot. And then it became such a cultural touchstone that you could quote this movie. Mm-hmm. And and people just knew what you were quoting. Like, you didn't have to explain it. It was just there. And. So it just really became a part of the fabric of talking about it. And but one thing that I do love is um, I originally talked to Eric about being on when they're going over the bridge and I'm trying to think if it's Mississippi. No, it's the band that does Mississippi Queen. Why can't I think of names? Jesus. Is it Mountain? Yeah. Thank you. Mountain. Um, then when that song is playing, it's just one of those like oh, Misty Mountain Hop is what you're thinking of. Misty Mountain Hop oh, just Led gets Zeppelin. me going. Sure. Zeppelin, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Mountain also did. <laughs> did Mountain do Mississippi Queen though? Um, that's that. Yes, you're you're okay. Yep. Good, yes. good, good, good. Okay. You're right yes. on both accounts. <laughs> you you were right. I was wrong. Y'all are very smart. No, 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 I no, no, no. Can never remember I'm the just name. Of no, 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 no. That's all. My, my big thing is I idealize this era a lot. Mm-hmm. I know that. I recognize my own bias. But one thing I do not idealize is any concept that New York City was not a cesspool of garbage in the 70s. <laughs> and there's a scene, uh, they must have done it already, where he runs out into the road. Yeah. And there's no garbage. And that was the one thing that my dad and I were just like, well, that's not realistic. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Is, is this, correct me if I'm wrong, and now this may be just because I assume this is all Cameron Crowe movies. This is based on his actual experiences, right? Yeah. Because he yep. wrote, 
Yeah, so it's, I, it's, I look at this as like a you know memory erases all the trash off the road, and you just remember there being you go. The, like the boombox. I don't even. I don't even know. That's. I, I sure hope someone got fired for that. But the <laughs> the um the yeah. I think I think it's interesting because like I think a lot of it is like there's a dreamlike quality to the mm. whole thing. Which is kind of weird to think about because, I mean, it, it's just memory. It's just natural, you know, what you remember is going to be either better or worse than it actually was. But I think it's cool to see, like, all of these things. I also, on in in our in our podcast, I tend to uh, be like, oh, that's not a mistake. That's intentional. And here's why. So that's uh, the the knee that is jerking right now. But I do like when, when like, things are based on the writer's actual memory that you can kind of have a fun little like oh it's interesting that they remembered this but not that um and depicted that this but not that Mm. Mm -hmm. well speaking of memories in new york we should probably talk about a very specific memory from 1973 in new york but i think first chris you had a little something that you wanted to drop in case some people are hearing our voices for the first time and say, these guys are great. <laughs> That's right. Uh, what you're about to hear is a promotional uh, audio bit about our podcast. I don't even think we mentioned this, did we? We do a podcast. No, a, that's, I'm doing it now. <laughs> yeah, we do a podcast uh, called This Means Something, and it's about... Uh, It's one of these movies-by-minute deals about Close Encounters of the Third Kind, a 70s movie that can't help but look accurately Mm. like it's from the 70s. So we'll listen to that, and then we'll be right back with a deep dive into Minute 87. See you then. Hey, Chris. Oh, hey, Tierney. Do you believe in the unexplained, the paranormal? Mm, No, not really. Okay, uh, how about UFOs, flying saucers? Nope, haven't seen one. How about Close Encounters? Have you seen that, Chris? Of the third kind? Yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. Released in November 1977 to critical acclaim and box office success, Steven Spielberg's science fiction masterpiece stars Richard Dreyfuss. Okay, okay, Chris, Chris, save it for the podcast. Podcast? Oh yeah, you mean the podcast where we watch and comment on all 137 minutes of Close Encounters of the Third Kind? That podcast? Yep. The podcast is called This Means Something and is now available wherever you download your podcasts. This This Means means something. Something! And we're back. We're back with Minute 87 of Almost Famous, and uh, let's get into the details of this minute. It starts uh, with um, William congratulating everyone that uh, he's just told them that they're going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. And I forget, can he back up this promise at this point in the story? Yes. Okay. No, so they told him told. He, it's going to yeah. be a cover cover story. Yes. He was on. Yes, he was on the phone with Ben. What's his name? Right. You can tell. You can tell the band. Right. Yeah. What a wild shot! If he wasn't though, oh my god. That'd be- <laughs> 
could that be some gamesmanship, you know, to get their confidence up? Be like, oh, yeah, you're going to be on the cover. Yeah. Well, so my first note for this minute is um, over on Close Encounter, on This Means Something, we have a little bit where we read kids' reviews. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, maybe we'll do. And it's like, well, we can't have kids review Almost Famous because it is not appropriate. <laughs> um, we'll see about that. Preschooler. <laughs> he cannot watch this movie yet. Um, but I was like, but we're talking about a minute where they sing. He'd love that. I mean, this is a kid who wants Eddie's jumping song. And what he means is Van Halen's 1984 <laughs> jump. Like, he's first. He knows. Eddie's um, jumping basis. song. Eddie's jumping song. My friend Eddie. (laughs) So I was like, this is perfect. I'm going to get him to talk about it. And we'll have a kid's review of just specifically this minute. And the review has to very specifically be like half this minute because Jeff Beebe swears so much. I'm so (laughs) mad at him. (laughs) Like just an F-bomb right off the bat. And you can't hide it at all if you're trying to show a preschooler this film. Um, I get he's excited. I get yeah. he's excited. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I I knew they must be quoting a real song. Like, yeah. it doesn't sound like something that they made up for the film. But I never knew anything about it. And I learned... Quite possibly the greatest trivia ever, which is that this film was, or this film, this song was written by Shel Silverstein. Yeah. That Shel Silverstein? <laughs> yep. He, Shel Silverstein is like the secret, secret songwriter. He wrote A Boy Named Sue also. Whoa. You know oh that song? God. Yeah, that's Johnny Cash. Because he, yeah. he knew, he knew, uh, he wrote A Boy Named Sue after. Uh, he talked to his friend Gene Shepard, the guy that wrote the Christmas Story and all those things, yeah. because Gene Shepard's name was spelled J E A N, which was quote unquote the girl's way. So he got made fun of all his all his ter- childhood for having a name that was a girl's name. So Shel Silverstein wrote a, wrote a boy named Sue and gave it to Johnny Cash. Oh. Shel Silverstein is like, I, I'm I'm now like, and, of course it is, and because like. <laughs> And real quick, who stars in A Christmas Story? Melinda Dillon from Close Encounters. Yeah, there's going to be a lot more of those moments coming up. Sorry. Um, That was like Peter uh, Billingsley? (laughs) I just couldn't believe it. I was like, I I was like, well, this part's okay for kids. And I'm like, heck yeah, it is. (laughs) Shel Silverstein's in here. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I love that. So, Although the band that plays it has a great name. So the mm-hmm. band who does the song, the cover of Rolling Stone, which is what everyone is singing a cappella here in this scene, is a band called Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show. At the time, they were called Dr. Mm-hmm. Hook and the Medicine Show. And in fact, the original name of the band is Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show, colon, Tonic for the Soul. I love that. <laughs> it is the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies of band names. Um, <laughs> and Dr. Hook, they they eventually, re, you know, sh- contracted their name to just Dr. Hook. Um, most of their hits are like kind of soft rock, sort of disco. Yeah. 
hits, and I recognized a bunch of them. You could go on a cruise and hear yeah, it. There be, yeah, they, they are Yacht Rock adjacent, for sure. And I'm like, what is this song that sounds very much like, um, it, it's sort of a satirical, like, like something um, Country Joe and the Fish or whatever back mm-hmm. in the 60s would, mm-hmm. would sing. And so I had never heard this song before. I'd never even heard of it before. So I'm looking it mm. up and I'm doing this research and... You know, they wrote it, or, you know, Shel Silverstein and, and the band wrote it as kind of a lark um, as, and sort of, you know, making fun of the fact that you haven't really made it as a band until you've been on the cover of, of Rolling Stone. Well, here's here's where it gets weird. In real life, not this movie, mm-hmm. in real life, they write this song, okay, and their A&R guy... Uh, basically their music business representative is plugging the song, trying to, you know, trying to get airplay in different uh, places, different radio stations. The BBC won't play it mm-hmm. because it technically advertises a trademark. They don't want to get into legal trouble. <laughs> so apparently some BBC DJs would play it and then shout the words, Radio Times over Rolling Stone. Radio Times was like awesome. is like their version of TV Guide, as far as I understand. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> what ends up happening after the song is released and is getting some airplay, Rolling Stone actually hears about it and agrees to put them on the cover of Rolling Stone. And they do so as the result of an article. They they assign Cameron Crowe to go write a profile no. of them. For I am not making <laughs> this up. <laughs> so Cameron Crowe has the weirdest life of all time. <laughs> yeah. So they are on the cover, March 29th, ninety three. They're on the cover of Rolling Stone. But here's the twist. As a, how they're billed. Uh, what's that? At how they're billed on the cover of Rolling Stone. Well, they're they're in caricature rather than a photograph. Yeah. And sort of the whole thing was like getting our picture on Rolling Stone. So Rolling Stone is like, we'll meet you halfway. Yeah. We'll have someone draw a caricature of you. <laughs> yeah. Instead and then of, the bottom says like, whatever his name or whatever their names are. Right. So, I mean, like, there are a lot of times now where art imitates life and then life imitates art. And I go, wow, this is a crazy time to be alive. That's a pretty crazy time to be alive. And the fact that the guy who wrote that up then went to write Almost Famous and then the song is in this scene. And that's the scene that we have for our minute. Like, it's just too weird. Dr. Hook. It's beautiful. And uh, Chris, I know how much you love billboard listing. So I will let you know that this peaked at number six on the billboard hot one. Wow. In 19, what, 72 weeks two or 73? 73. It was the week before the two weeks before they, they hit the cover. If my, if my math yeah. is right. Okay. So it had been yeah. March 73. Yeah. The song came out October 72. Okay. It took a while to, like you said, it kind of took a while to build up steam yeah. and, 
and their sound back then had nothing to do with like what they would later do as a band. Like it's, it's one of those weird things where they just like totally revised their sound and, and had a a string of hits in the late seventies. But that sound nothing like on the cover of Rolling Stone. I'm just, I'm still, I'm still stuck back in Britain where this song got censored for being too commercial. (laughs) It's just like, we're sticking it to the man by name dropping a product. It's like, yeah. It feels so backwards to <laughs> me. I I love I love I love hearing about the things the BBC banned stuff for. It's oh yeah, yeah, hilarious. <laughs> you should try reading up on the production of the of Doctor Who. Uh, obviously, mm. different departments. Um, and sure. then, um, oh shoot, did Doctor Hook what ever meet the... Doctor Who? Oh my god, Doctor Hook, Doctor Who, and the Who all uh, crossover. <laughs> yeah. I just fainted and revived. <laughs> um, uh, there was a drama, like an an hour spy drama set during the fifties that was set at the BBC. I want to call it the the hour. I know hours is a totally different film. I'm so sorry, Chris, to make you do no, editing. Go ahead and look it up. Uh, yeah, it is just the hour. It was very good. Huh. Anyway. The uh, We can get back to talking about this actual minute now. Um, did anyone else go absolutely crazy when they found out that someone on Wikipedia went through and listed every single cover of Rolling Stone? I, so that- hey, I did. <laughs> So, yeah, so, because Jeff mentions that the Beatles were on the cover of his first first, Rolling Stone. The first Rolling Stone he ever saw, the Beatles were on the cover. So I did a nice little control F, um, Mm -hmm. and there were five Beatles covers before 1973. Um, And I've pulled them up, and I feel like 67, the the one in uh, December of 67 is like a big, huge group shot of everyone that's in Magical Mystery Tour. Yes. Mm -hmm. So... I think we can eliminate that as as counting as the Beatles were on the cover of the Rolling Stone the first time I got Rolling Stone. Um, gotcha. Second, right. um, April of 68 just has Yellow Submarine versions of John and Paul. So I think we can eliminate that, that one, too. That doesn't count. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, then, so that, le- that takes us to October of 68, um, which has all four Beatles. It says, uh, be- the Beatles today... Um, and it has each of them in their own. It's weird. It's it's a cover of Rolling Stone, and in, inserted into the middle of the of the cover of the Rolling Stone is each of the Beatles in their own miniature covers of the Rolling Stone. Hmm. Uh, so this one could have counted October sixth, sixty eight, and then uh, the other one is on December twenty first, sixty eight. Is them uh, all together. Longish hair yeah. with, I think, Martha the dog uh, is on the cover. That with was them. my favorite. Yeah, I wanted to be that purely for Paul McCartney's dog. <laughs> I, yeah, I, if if I if it was me, this the is the one I would say. Beetle. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's one in '69 with them on uh, in their uh, Get Back outfits, uh, which are sort of like a kind of like a cowboy, like a sort of a Butch Cassidy down in Mexico yeah. sort of cowboy looks. Um, 
which I really it's, like. It's also November 1969 for that cover. It feels like Jeff should definitely be reading Rolling Stone at this point. Sure, yeah, exactly. There's if he's a point going where to it's be like, touring yeah. by 73. <laughs> he picks up. He's very. He picks up things very quickly. Um. So yeah, I think our best bets are uh, are October or December of 68 for yeah. what the first uh, Rolling Stone magazine that he ever picked up was. Maybe yeah. he avoided it for a while. He's like, there's no one on here that yeah. I like, but I'm still a musician. And then the Beatles are on. He's like, ah, okay, I'll get this one. Yeah. Maybe. It could have been any of them. And for those who came here specifically to tell us this trivia, yes, John Lennon was on the cover of the premiere issue in 1967. However, it was just him, yeah. not the Beatles. So We have that's to take him at his word. He wouldn't make that mistake. That's not the Beatles. John <laughs> Lennon. John Lennon would be the no. first person to say, I'm not the Beatles. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, before we start fighting about that, <laughs> that is not within the purview of this podcast. Um, you know, what? something just occurred to me. So Dr. Ooh. Hook records this song. I want to be on the cover of Rolling Stone and end up on the cover of Rolling Stone because of it. Right. That'd be mm-hmm. like me doing a podcast called. I should be on Star Wars Minute. And I'd be like, hello, and welcome to episode one of I should be on Star Wars Minute. Today on I should be on Star Wars Minute. And then... It works sometimes. And then Pete and Alex eventually put me on, you know, in in a couple of years. So... There was a a podcast... Are you okay. going to talk about the McElroy brothers? Yep. Yep. Go, go ahead. for it. <laughs> there was a there was a podcast that the McElroy brothers did called "The McElroy Brothers Will Be in Trolls Too," um, <laughs> where it was literally just them. It was a prestige podcast. Well, it taught me what that is. Um, where they talked to their agent, they went on auditions and stuff, and they are in. And of course, at some point, they had to change it to "The McElroy Brothers Will Be in Trolls World Tour," and uh, they are. So they are in that sequel. So it's that. It's the <laughs> it's it's the thing you said. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the Star only Wars they're Mitt. already very famous podcasters, and they already have a lot of sort of ins with people and and stuff like well, that. Well, you know what this is. We are recording this shortly after I've appeared on Star Wars Minute, and I think someone's a little bit jealous. <laughs> <laughs> now, hey, now two of us. So that's cool. I just found out that information. So now join me in my jealousy. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I'm very jealous of someone in this minute. I am in love with Kate Hudson's dress. Yes. And it, it brings me great sadness to inform anyone else who is also in love with it that we will never be able to buy this <laughs> because it was made for the film. Like all the, basically everything except like the jeans <laughs> made for the movie. And I found this really great quote from costume designer Betsy Hyman about this dress. Um, if you would indulge me for just a second. Where she's, uh, she was describing it and she says, it's made for the movie, quote, from vintage embroidered China silk that I found in my travels, dot, dot, dot. Uh, it was just a little bit of what was left of a vintage kimono, dot, dot, dot. I think that dress was really short, laughs, because we didn't have enough fabric. <laughs> Of like, okay, I mean, it was probably, it was going to be a short dress anyway, because that was the style. But like, where it ends was determined by, and we're out of fabric now, so that's (laughs) where that's going to hit her thigh. Um, That's awesome. I I absolutely love it. I think it's gorgeous. I was very sad to see um, 
There was an interview with Australian Vogue for Kate Hudson in 2015, celebrating the movie anniversary. And she was talking about her favorite look. She said her favorite outfit was the one she wears when they're getting on the plane for the first time. And she didn't mention this one. I was very sad because <laughs> I think this this dress and the boots are just absolutely beautiful. And I do love, um, obviously, this person came up a lot. But specifically with this dress, Betsy Hyman talks about how it was designed after seeing, looking at pictures of Patty Boyd. Like, there were a lot mm. of inspiration sure. for the various characters. And Patty Boyd is a definite influence on this one. I just wanted to give a shout out because... In Patty Boyd's memoir, Wonderful Today, she talks about when she was traveling the world and she talks about how we all, I can't, I don't know the exact quote. Um, I just got it out of the library. I don't own a copy. Mm. Um, but she talks about how they would just have like these little bags, like a little purse, bigger than a purse, but like, you know, the equivalent of like a tote bag or a backpack today. And she said, but it was easy to pack because we would just throw in these little silk dresses and they never wrinkled. And like every time I have packed since reading this book, huh. I have thought about Patty Boyd and how uh, her clothes and my clothes are very different. <laughs> I have never, I like that is my dream to be able to throw a couple slip dresses in a bag and just go. And that's it. Now I am ready to travel the world for two months. At least <laughs> go to Morocco. Artist. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's that's the dream. Um, anyone who knows me in real life knows that is so far from my actual life. But um, <laughs> it's one of those I remember distinctly. I was sitting on the ground under like back leaning against a tree reading this book. And I read that sentence and it was one of those where like you stop, you look up and then you go back and like read the sentence a bunch of times again. Like this is going in my brain for the rest of my life. <laughs> I love so that. So then when I saw how much I love this dress and I read that she was the inspiration for it, I'm like, tracks. It's, <laughs> it's all coming together. That is awesome. That's so, so cool. Yeah, that made me very happy to see in this minute. Is it me or does it not even look like a 70s dress? It looks like like in the moment I was like, well, that's like a late 90s kind of look, you know? Like yeah. it, it has like a timeless yeah. quality to it, whereas everything, most everything else in the show looks like, or in the movie rather, looks like you know, like someone yeah. trying to do a period piece uh, about yeah. the early seventies. I will say that quote is from a Refinery Twenty Nine article interview with her, and um, she talks about the. Oh, God, I hope it was that one. <laughs> um, because she talks about how the different groupies had different inspirations that she would keep in mind mm -hmm. since they mm -hmm. were making everything. And it was like Anna's character is the romantic. So she, all her stuff is 30s influenced. Mm -hmm. And Feruza Balk is the leader. So all her stuff is this person influenced. Like, it was very clear in their minds. Like, what's everyone had their own look. Yeah, she had a, I noticed she had kind of like a drum majorette or whatever you call that look to her. Yeah. A yeah. lot of times. Um, yeah, it's pretty, I really like the, the color, just the colors yeah. stunning off of that, that silk. Well, they yeah. said that they really wanted the blue to stand out, to be like, of course, Russell is going to see her in this crowded room. <laughs> this crowded room that is, Segway Queen has arrived. <laughs> They're in uh, Max's Kansas City, which was a famous 
sort of bohemian hangout uh, during the 60s and 70s. Uh, in its first incarnation, it really was like Andy Warhol and and like the more artistic bohemian style type folky folks that were in and um, that were uh, the regulars there. And then it, it sort of became a host to New York's glam rock scene. And as that petered out, Max's closed and then, but very shortly thereafter reopened and reopened as basically a classier version. I mean, and that's a pretty low bar for of a classier <laughs> version of like CBGBs. So it was more yeah. like the punk rock new wave venue. And that's what in my brain I associate Max when someone says Max is Kansas City, I, I associate it with more of that like that second incarnation where it was like yeah. Devo and Talking Heads and whatever. But but there was that first incarnation where it was like more like Velvet Underground and Lou Reed and Bowie right. and and, you know, probably T-Rex played there when he was, you know, coming through <laughs> New York um, or uh, New York Dolls. You know, that was like right. that first uh, incarnation. But so they're there during the glam rock. When this scene is, you know, 1973. It's, you know, the, the, they're implying that like Iggy Pop and Bowie and Lou Reed and, you know, people like that are, are hanging out you know, in that, in that big crowded room. Um, but it, it's neat. It kind of looks like, it actually kind of looks nice. Like for all of the, mm-hmm. you know, the gritty New York uh, underground, you know, that we associate with, with places like this, it actually looks decent, um, you know, to hang out in. Yeah. I, um, I, I do the same thing with Max's Kansas city and, and CBGB. Um, I was sitting here racking my brain as you told that story, trying to remember that. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever saw it. There was a Alan Rickman CBGB movie on, yes. on Amazon. Yes. Uh, that I, I really liked um, a lot. I was sitting here trying to be like, did it start off as Max's? Because I'm the same way. Because like, <laughs> it's the same a place I've never been but have heard of <laughs> sort of area of my brain. That's yeah. so cool. That's um, hmm. It's kind of... Does it... Maybe it's just me, and please correct me if you guys disagree, but it feels weird that that this band, to to imagine this band sort of rubbing shoulders with, like, Bowie and Lou Reed and stuff. Oh, for sure. Feels weird to me, right? Yes. Because they're like, okay. Because they're like, they're a different brand of of rock and roll. Right. These guys are, you know, Stillwater is sort of, um, from what I can tell... It's sort of an amalgamation of Zeppelin and the Allman Brothers, which is kind of weird. Yeah. And like um, maybe Grand Funk Railroad and Mm -hmm. the Guess Who and like really kind of like, I mean, Zeppelin, of course, went off into Tolkien-esque ventures (laughs) and Allman Brothers had- Misty Mountain Hop, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And- and you know, Almond Brothers were, I mean, could get really uh, technical, you know, with with their jams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but these guys, Stillwater, seem very, like, grounded, 
working class, yeah, you know, yeah, Skinnerd esque yeah. rock and roll. Mm-hmm. You know, not that there's anything yeah. wrong with it, but you're right sure. that they're not like the glam side of things. You know, they're not like putting on like makeup a, and and like plastic Almost pants like a Bob or Seger area. Yeah, of, yeah, like that. Yeah, of like. We have long hair, but not that long hair. This other long hair. Like, we grew up listening to Mitch Ryder, and we have long hair, and that's fine. But, like, it's different. And, yeah. But, I mean, like, I like to think about the crossover. Right. And they're not, like... All those bands. They're not trying to reinvent the form in terms of music or, like, confuse gender roles, you know, or whatever. Create, like, an androgynous look mm-hmm. or whatever it's like no they're just like a, a good rock band you know we're just here to rock man <laughs> <laughs> so yes it is weird see that this is there. this is being younger it all smushes in my brain <laughs> i was listening best of the doobie brothers and rebels boat yeah nope all <laughs> all go together on the classic rock station <laughs> And sadly, I, I, sad, I love that. That's yeah. awesome. Sad, no, so sadly, I'm that way with anything post 1988. <laughs> it's like it all sounds the yeah. same to me. Good luck with that. And, yeah. So, and I'm I'm, I'm pedantic about uh, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I guess there's a there's a there's a a blank space in like the late 80s early 90s where i'm like yeah i think that there was some stuff going on that wasn't rem or youtube but yeah nirvana i'm fine with just (laughs) yeah right right yeah exactly could i segue us into another piece of fashion uh that I noticed, absolutely. Please do. That wasn't a that wasn't a cool looking dress. Um, it there's a a a dude wearing a shirt that says "Poof Be Gone" on it, and it's sort of stylized. It's sort of like a almost like a comic book of the time, like uh, someone has just disappeared. Poof be gone, sort of deal. And I started doing some research on this because when I saw that, I I was like, "Poof Be Gone." That's like a '90s sitcom. Like, kind of like a Martin or or something of that era. Um, what what is it doing here in this nineteen seventies t shirt? And what I found may shock you. Well, it probably won't shock you, but um, there are a <laughs> only because you already told us off air. <laughs> right, <laughs> there are a number of uh of products from like the six fifties and sixties, like Poof, it's gone, uh, which was a spray away cleaner and. The the rolls off your tongue, poof, there goes perspiration, <laughs> uh, which is the name of the product, so that's cool, uh, by Stopette, which was the world's, the first spray deodorant was called poof, there goes perspiration. <laughs> um, and then from the, from the poof, there goes perspiration line, uh, later there was a product called poof deodorant body powder. So I guess they were just kind of keeping the logo because, like, there's not, I mean, yeah. So I didn't see anywhere. I looked at, like, commercials for it and, and all sorts of stuff. I did, I did my best YouTubing. I couldn't find anything that said, where anyone said, poof, be gone. So 
I'm sort of of the and I found like one or two logos where it looked kind of like the, sh- the, sh- the shirt that was being worn. But I kind of am sort of feeling a little bit like they sort of played again, Sam, the poof, it's gone sort of deal. <laughs> um, and I also wonder, it, it made me wonder, is was that kind of graphic tee sort of like ironic things like that? Was that sort of a thing that you'd wear? Like, was that a thing yet? No. <laughs> yeah, that's what I that's what I thought. This this is a time traveling Gen Xer is is my guess. <laughs> Perfect. But I, I now I want to know their story. So please, almost famous two, almost famous in time. Thank you. <laughs> I assume you've go. time traveled at some point. <laughs> I wow, I haven't the foggiest. I mean, I the only like ironic like commercial like all i'm thinking of is like the album cover for uh the who's sell out mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and that's but i i i do not remember there being ironic t-shirts like yeah. ironic graphic t-shirts yeah. in the 70s it doesn't mean they don't exist but i don't remember sure. them at all yeah cuz i know I know she talked about getting permission from Neil Young to rip off his shirt with Jeff's face. So, like, but that's different. Like, that's an artist on a graph, like, because graphic T-shirts were a thing. But what you're sure. describing is it, it It does. It feels different. Yeah. Hmm. It's like it, it's it's the thing where it's like, yeah, no, I understand why you would have Neil Young's face on your T-shirt. I get it. You saw him in concert. You want to whatever. It's explaining, no, 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 it's a deodorant. Yeah. And this is the logo for, I'm not explaining it right. Um, It's like, like explaining sort of ironic t-shirts. You reach a point where you sound like you're in the early to mid 90s trying to tell someone what <laughs> why your t-shirt is funny. Um, And I think that's really interesting. Because like, hmm. it feels like it's not 100% out of place until you look at it and then you're like, something's wrong here. Hmm. What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> Something's amiss. There's a glitch in the matrix. Oh. Tanya, time time traveling Gen X or it's the only explanation. There we go. The most sarcastic Gen X. The most sarcastic time traveler of all time. There we go. Oh great, I'm in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> well, before Chris spins the you guys spin this off into an entire podcast <laughs> that is a scripted drama of the time traveling Gen Xer. Did anyone have anything else about Minute 87 of Almost Famous? Uh, I did. Um, It's been a long time since I've watched this movie from, uh, well, that I've watched uh, every other minute besides this one. And um, I did have the fun feeling of, yep, there's, there's all the people I know. Jason Lee is cursing. Yep, that checks out. And then there's Kate Hudson, of course. Who's that lady? What what's who who is she to say that she's creeping her out? And then I looked up like in the plot. I was like, ah, oh, his wife. Ooh, that's awkward. Okay, so I felt a very uh, like I felt like I was in the moment of someone being like, yeah, you were in the who's that lady in the mindset? <laughs> Why is Leslie here? You're, you're she's no fun. Method watching the the men. Yeah. Yeah. Kate Hudson, not Kate Hudson. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I love it. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) 
I sure do love in this movie when they have group sing-alongs. Mm. I, th- I mean, I'm only thinking, yes, of the other one being Tiny Dancer, but I sure do love just a group, that, a big group that knows the song. Maybe there's some musicians in there. Got, you know, I love that kind of thing. It's a great mob, and they do it very well in this movie. Yeah. I have a nitpick yeah. real quick. Okay. So when they do Tiny Dancer, which, by the way, I've had stuck in my head for a day and a half now. Thank you. Um, (laughs) They skip the pre-chorus. There's like the section before the chorus where it builds up to the chorus. That, for me, is vitally important because then it creates the big release of being able of singing Hold me closer, tiny dancer. Instead, it just goes from the right. verse to the chorus, and I'm like, eh. Uh, very <laughs> well, before before I start ranting about why the bridge from Layla was stolen from a woman, uh, <laughs> we should we we should we should wrap up if you guys are good. I'm so sorry. I mean, if you have. No, yeah, I've got I do. I like to imagine the the genesis of them skipping that pre-chorus, being like, "We remember this part." <laughs> who, who who all knows what's next? Is it "Hold Me Closer, the, Tiny Dancer"? Sure, and then that's how they sing it on the bus from then on. <laughs> I've got one more note, and it's and whether it makes it into the show, who knows? Uh, so Kate Hudson is the daughter of. A, a musician named Bill Hudson. Mm-hmm. Bill Hudson, I had no information on or was prompted to get any information until I watched a very recent episode of Family Guy in which they included <laughs> the entire introductory montage. It's like three minutes long of a 70s variety show called the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle. And I'm like, what is this? And I look it up and I find, you know, the Hudson Brothers. And I'm reading about them. There were these three guys who grew up in Portland, formed a band. Um, and in the early 70s, right around the time that this movie is taking place, uh, start to experience... Um, some success and it's kind and they're kind of like um if you picture three brothers who are kind of like Donnie and Marie like they have that dynamic about them yeah. where they do songs but they can also do comedy skits and stuff like that and Bill Hudson like a Smothers brothers like a of, like a Smothers brothers but like but like them and like kind of mixed with like the Bay City Rollers or something <laughs> nice okay and Bill Hudson, one of them, um, was a very famous sort of playboy. So he dated Jill St. John. Then he became involved with Goldie Hawn, and they married in 1976. Um, And then they had two children, Oliver Hudson and Kate Hudson. So Kate Hudson is the offspring of a rock star. Nice. Who, and then, but was raised by Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. That's, okay. And then, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's er, so funny. Everyone just sit down <laughs> because I'm about to blow your minds even more. 
Uh, this guy, Bill Hudson, then uh, dated Ally McGraw for a while. Okay. And then sure. he married Cindy Williams of Laverne and oh. Shirley fame in 1982. <laughs> sure. And had two kids with Cindy Williams. Um, yeah. All uh, huh. my my brain hurts. <laughs> this guy, um, God bless him. Yeah, the, that reminds me. Um, I, we again, this can be cut if, if whatever. But that reminds me of Liv Tyler, who was Stephen mm-hmm. Tyler from Aerosmith's daughter. But for the longest time, she thought she was Todd Rundgren's daughter. Oh. so. Like, yeah. and then it was like, it turned out, no, 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 your dad is this other famous musician. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Being raised by Kurt Russell. That's wild. Right. Yeah. But I just think it's weird that like, she's in this movie that's essentially about people who are, you know, would have run in the same circles as yeah. her father yeah. in this time period. Like it, uh. It's art imitating life, imitating art, all that stuff. Yeah, love it. Or it's just coincidence. I don't know. But that's my last note. No such thing as coincidences. Yeah. Well, we have yeah. really uh, packed a lot of content so, in this episode. I was going to say, sorry this episode's long, but you are not allowed to cut any of that because it is so good. <laughs> Should we do it? A- and- oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask, should we do a quick round of recommendations? I sure hope so, because I have a movie, this movie-specific one. Okay. Uh, well, actually, I I always cheat. So I have one for the younger set and actual grown-ups, because I... Uh-huh. <laughs> we're recording this after I spent an entire year home with my toddler, so... <laughs> My recommendation inspired by Almost Famous Minute is a board book called Bowie, My First David Bowie. Aww. It's by Maria nice. Isabel Sanchez Vergara. It's part of the Little People, Big Dream series. And it is a board book about David Bowie. And my son asked me to read it to him again. Like, I finished the book and he's like, read that again. Aww. So. Nice. It's lovely and wonderful, and it's all about how David Bowie inspired people to be themselves and became a rock star. Like, like he, he and work with and Brian Eno, about, you know, yeah, right, yeah. No, it, it, it's like <laughs> he liked to uh, come up with outrageous outfits and makeup for to go with his songs, and like, <laughs> and, oh, and the the his, his first hit song was about a lonely astronaut, and I was just like, good job, whoever wrote this, <laughs> like that is some choice wording there. Um, and then just to destroy any credibility I just gained by mentioning that. Um, I'm going to hang up and immediately listen to Super Tramp's Breakfast in America album. Nice. You can't. Which I. Uh, you can't see yeah. me, but I've got both of my arms stretched over my head, pumping my fists. <laughs> yeah. It I'm, is a divisive sound, but I love it. And I'm playing the loudest air sax you've ever heard in your entire <laughs> life right now. Air harmonica. When you were talking about. <laughs> The song on the cover of Rolling Stone and how it's about being a rocker, but not. I started trying to think, 
What's the song about being a rock star and having all this cocaine, but your life still sucks? And that took me down a beautiful rabbit hole of Googling random songs by Billy Joel, the Talking Heads, and Super Tramp, trying to figure out which one I was thinking of. <laughs> it's like, it's somewhere in that era, but I couldn't quite pin it down. But it took, a, it took me down a rabbit hole where I was like, oh, I haven't listened to Breakfast in America in a while. I gotta put that on. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's just, just, like I said, just destroying any credibility I have no. on this podcast. So what would you like to recommend, James? Uh, well, I'll go uh, I'll go on your same, I'll, I'll put my Google search in, in your same Google search, uh, uh, Jackson Brown's Running on Empty album, mm. um, which is about being a rock star on the road and doing lots of cocaine. Um, <laughs> it's almost like it's a pet. <laughs> yeah, it, the there's a the song there's a song called Cocaine on that album that was recorded on the tour bus and you can hear the bus changing gears and stuff. It's so oh God. cool. Wow. And then it also ends with uh the loadout stay, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. So yeah. I've got two recommendations. Um one, I was trying to think what what's a movie where someone sort of uh, a journalist or writer sort of infiltrates a world as an imposter, you know, and what immediately came to mind. You can talk about the Philadelphia story. <laughs> what immediately came to mind was uh, um, this book later turned into a movie uh, book by George Plimpton called Paper Lion, where he tries out for the mm. Detroit Lions. And oh, nice. um, it was made into a movie in 1968 starring your boy, T- Tierney, Alan Alda. As, uh, oh, nice. as George Plimpton. So, Paper Lion. And then I was trying to think of a, a, a good, like, band on the road kind of movie that you may not have heard of. Um, and I came up with Still Crazy, which is a British movie mm. about a band from, like, yeah, the same time period, early 70s, whatever, early to mid 70s. And. You know, they they are in a situation where they almost make it. They almost break big. And then some calamitous things happen. And they all go back to their normal lives. Well, 20 years later, somebody wants to reunite the band. And so it's all about these guys who are, you know, my age or pushing 50. And now they're trying to, like, resume a rock and roll lifestyle. And how sad that is. <laughs> Um, and funny too. And it, and it's, and it's a good, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it has, it's, it's mostly a comedy, but it has some very, uh, serious moments in it too. So, uh, that's called uh. still crazy. And it has, um, most people would recognize, uh, the actor Bill Nighy in that. Sure. Yeah. He, uh. he plays the, uh, sort of gothic Ozzy Osbourne kind of singer, Alice Cooper kind of guy. Um, it's really good. So I'd recommend that. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I I would put out the call there. I don't need another podcast to, to start, but if anyone wants to do a uh, review of movies with musical performances podcast with me, I would love to do that because I just was sitting here being like, Blues Brothers is pretty good, that thing you do. All, like all these movies, and I'm just like, God, I love... I love the commitments. All these movies that yeah, have like, yeah. musical That's, performances. There in them. was a movies by minutes on that thing you would do, and every time it comes up, I just that movie is so good. Yeah, uh, yeah, it so yeah. is. 
It's so anyway. <laughs> That's not an original take, but I just had to throw it out there because I am constantly reminded. Well, that thing um, you do was, I yeah. believe, produced and directed by Tom Hanks, right? Correct. And, and under Ritz. his Plato, under his, uh, well, his studio at the time, or his, um, what do you call it, production company at the time, was Clavius Base Productions, uh, named after. The moon base in 2001 A Space Odyssey. And Uh I hosted a Movies by Minute podcast about 2001 A Space Odyssey called Open the Podcast Doors Hell. You can still find that on Spotify. So that is my plug for this episode. I have seen that on the Movies by Minute's website. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's awesome. We're in the plug section now. (laughs) Oh, uh, music. Hey, there's music. Okay, so um, another podcast that I host is uh, is called uh, Thanks for the Lyrics, but you take out all the vowels. Uh, it's a Fallout Boy lyrics deep dive podcast mm. where we pull out one line from uh, each Fallout Boy song, like by album, consecutive by by album, and me and Aaron and my, our friend Tracy uh, sort of dive down into sort of the meanings of it and what it makes us think of and what it means in the larger catalog of their work and sort of what ambiguous like we often talk about like when he says we here in this line who is the we that we're talking about who's the you he means um and that's a lot of fun uh to do i also do a uh, blink 182 podcast called blink and you'll miss it where i uh talk about each blink 182 song and also side projects of members of blink 182 uh, and every episode is five minutes or less um <laughs> And it's a lot of fun. So uh, season three of that is going to come out whenever Blink-182 releases something new. And I'm very <laughs> excited about that. So No pressure on Blink-182. No, I mean, they can take their time because, like, I need to get ready. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love a long well, lead out, guys. <laughs> and while we're plugging projects we've done uh, and we've looped back around to music... Summer 2021, I've got a podcast on, uh, it's called American Graffiti, One Song at a Time. Yeah. So instead of one minute at a time, we're going song by song through the film. So that will be out. Uh, If you go to onesteelsister.com or look that up on social media, uh, that is me. And that has links to everything. Unless you're on TikTok, in which case, I don't know who that is because I'm not learning. I'm not learning anymore. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were about to say you promote your podcast on TikTok, and I was like, "How does that happen?" <laughs> I I have I have contemporaries, and they put links on their Twitter to their TikToks, and I'm just like, "No, <laughs> I've reached my limit for what my brain will handle." Um, but Tim, you yeah, always I'm pick the Twitter best movies to do. I gotta say, you have great <laughs> selections. I yeah, excellent. Yeah, so. Uh, thank you. And thank you for being on the podcast today. I, I know this is not exactly what you signed up for when you said you would be on Almost Famous Minute. <laughs> well, it, it was it was a delight uh, to uh, to record with you a third time. And Chris, it was a delight to to meet you and talk with you and immediately start like like weirdly like sort of taking shots at you just sort of in all good fun because I think. I feel very comfortable around both of you, so I feel so. Thank you very much for for having me. Um, I, I'm looking forward to your guys. Like I said, scripted radio drama, <laughs> yeah. time traveling Gen Xer. Make it so. <laughs> It'll be called ugh. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, Doctor Whatever. Doctor uh, whatever. Gen X. 
That's a solid joke. Crap, now we have to make it. Ah, dang it. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess we end this this podcast by saying it's all happening. So everyone join me in saying it's all happening. It's It's all all happening. happening. All right. That's awesome. Isn't Eric in charge of the spreadsheet, too? I mean, like, it's double insult. We took over your (laughs) podcast. And also, can you add this new podcast? I am a golden god! It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.